another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nitin. Nitin, what's good, man? What is up? We are um, a week into the NFL playoffs. I know we're going to get to that in a bit. It's kind of funny, like NBA is gearing up, but I feel like I still can't fully disengage because the NFL brings that week-to-week excitement, but I think a lot happening in both worlds. Um, I, I think even since the last time we spoke, there was a you know a bunch of t- fairly big injuries in the NBA with Kevin Durant and others kind of going down. I don't know if that might have just happened last week, but it's taking a new turn in terms of like who's actually standing out from a team standpoint as well as from a player standpoint. We did the awards last week. I feel like my ballot's already kind of taken for a loop with Joel Embiid and the disrespect we showed him. I mean, I think that's the big thing. The MVP race all of a sudden is blown up wide open. So uh, I don't know. You're thinking Embiid now? We didn't. We barely talked Embiid last time. The thing is, we've we've um, I think we've penalized him for that pretty mediocre start. But what we forget is he's always been awesome all year. He had COVID for a fairly long time. I think he was out two to three weeks, and they really struggled when he was gone. And because of that, their record, you know, that came out of the gates, I think they were 500 through their first 30 games or so. Uh, they've really turned it up. I don't know. Did you see what he did tonight? I did not see the style. He had 50 points in like 30 minutes, 17 uh, of 23 from the field. Oh, my Granted, God. it was against the Magic, but, you know, the game started. This is actually kind of crazy. He scored the Sixers for 20, 20 of their first 22 points. Wow. And so he was just, and somehow Mo Bamba had 30 on the other end. So I really don't know what the hell was going on with those rims. But I just think that, like, you look around and you're trying to figure out, okay, you know, is it Giannis on the fourth seed Bucks? Eh. Is it Steph kind of fading a little bit on the two seed, maybe soon to be three seed Warriors with all the injuries with Draymond and others? Is it, you know, KD who's not going to miss six weeks? You know, Chris Paul, who's got the the Suns at number one, but puts up, you know, mid-2000 Steve Nash-like numbers. We all know what we feel about those MVP awards. You know, there's just, it's all over the map, I think. Um, and it's right there for the taking, whether that is an Embiid or it's a Ja or whoever. I think it's it's time my boy LeBron steps into the forefront of the MVP conversation. I already made a good case for him last week. Um it's about time you putting him third on a 500. I actually was thinking about that. And I was like, the audacity to, to rank him ahead of Jokic was just, it was really insulting to all of us, I think. Nah, you know how it works. The previous year's MVP has to do a little bit more the next year. Jokic has been equally amazing, if not a little bit more, but yeah, he, he's <laughs> kind of getting penalized because he won it last year. That's just how it works, man. It's hard to win back to back MVPs. Yeah, that's why we didn't give it to Giannis. He did win back-to-back, though, in 18 and 19. This guy's thrown up 25, 14, and 7, numbers we haven't seen since basically prime Wilt. And you're out here telling me that LeBron and his eight threes a game, somehow three that magically go in per per week, is is the deciding factor to put him above Jokic. You didn't even have Jokic at four. You had him at five. I had him at five out of respect for Steph. But if he asked me again this week, I'd put Steph at five. And I'm about to boot Steph to add LeBron, uh, not add LeBron, <laughs> add uh, freaking Embiid. Sadly, my boy DeRozan might be knocking down a couple pegs as well. Where does Mo Bamba fall on your list after tonight? <laughs> Did he crack the top 10 yet? He needs to show me a little bit more. Right now, I have him slightly behind 
uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. after a couple strong games last week. But, you know, he's nipping at the buds of the the top 10. But, you know, for all the talk on MVP, there's a lot of teams that are in flux. We kind of touched on this last week where there is nobody that's really running away with this thing other than maybe Phoenix, who you really have to like as the favorite to win the title at this point, honestly, with, with everyone else kind of figuring their shit out. They're the only ones who have any type of continuity, you know, they had their run last year, but there's a few factors at play. I think one is that the play in tournament has created an actually really cool competitive dynamic where there are teams like your Sacramento Kings, my Washington wizards who are actually eyeing that as like a successful run, right? Or like, Hey, this puts us, gives us a chance. The Timberwolves I'd add into that category. But then it also has teams like the Boston Celtics or the Lakers who are like, holy shit, we're going to be in the play-in? Like, the house is on fire, right? Like, And I think that's created a lot of fun trade dynamics, which is what we're going to talk about uh, in this episode, just thinking through who are the major teams that can make moves, who are the major players that uh, are seemingly available. A lot have been rumored for one another. And, you know, how we think this is really going to shape up. We have about a month plus till the trade deadline. And so, you know, the conversations are going to be ratcheting it up. Um, this summer is really interesting because only three teams as of now have cap space. And so it's not like there's going to be a bounty, uh, you know, of money waiting for all these players in free agency. A lot of those moves have to be made right now uh, or via sign and trade. So I think that's what's really interesting about uh, what's coming up in the next few weeks. I think what's also interesting is a lot of the teams up top, um, I don't think are going to make any huge moves. I mean, barring and Philly, obviously with Simmons, but that's been kind of ongoing for a while. But I think a lot of the teams in each in each conference really have a path to the title or see a path to the title. And this year feels a lot more open than even previous years. And this year we we thought it would be Brooklyn and Milwaukee really, you know, establishing themselves in the East. Haven't seen that. Haven't seen the Lakers. The Suns don't scare anyone. Um, the Warriors, as good as they've, they've they've been, they're still acclimating Clay back into it. You know, so I think because of that, a lot of these top teams may stay put. And, and like you said, it's a lot of the action is these teams on the fringes who are trying to even make the play in. I mean, we're going to talk about the Kings, but the the fact that the play in is even a goal or like the measure of success is a whole another story I don't want to get into. But um, but yeah, man, that's one great thing about the play in. It's created two points in each, in the standings. Do you want to stay top six to avoid playing and you want to be in that top 10 to get into the plan? And so that's made things more competitive. It's the long-term version of being invited to the bubble, even though you had no chance in hell at actually winning the title. Like you got to have stories from the bubble. Oh, was, yeah, it was me, LeBron, Giannis, Jokic. We we're all kind of chilling at the bubble, you know, <laughs> going through that. It's like, bro, you were there for eight games and you left. Like, what are you talking about? Like the Wizards, Davis Bertans was like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to stay home. I don't I don't think the bubble is for me, to be honest. Yeah. And so far, basketball has not been for him since then either. But um, yeah, nonetheless, let's start with the Kings. So the Kings have been swirling in the rumors just because for a lot of reasons. But one, you know, Monty McNair has been there for what now? This is his second or third year? This is his third year. No, second year. Second year, that's what I thought. And so in typical Vivek fashion, the anxiety has already been ratcheted to 10. There seems to be some organizational pressure to make a move that actually takes them out of this purgatory. And, you know, even though he's only been there two years, the fact is this core is starting to get into year three and four. 
uh, together. So right now they're, like you said, they sit, um, you know, they're 18 and 28. They sit the, sit 11th in the West. So just outside the play. And I think Portland is right ahead of them. You know, they're 22nd in offense, 27th in defense, 25th in net rating. So it's been yet another blah year for, for this team that I don't think people had penciled in for any for higher than where they are or maybe nine or 10, but you know, as a Kings fan, let's start there. What has this team shown you, for better or worse, that has been different than what your preseason expectations were? The funny thing is they've shown me exactly the same as they've shown in the past <laughs> years. The Kings are yeah. one of the most consistent teams of the last four or five years in the NBA, and I don't mean that in a good way. They always flirt in that 32 to 34 win range where it's NBA purgatory. And I think the hope this year was, okay, we got Davion Mitchell. Um, who was going to kind of provide a spark off the bench, be a defensive you know, force for us. And the hope was maybe we could salvage some of Bagley and you know rebuild his value. Either he becomes a good player for us or becomes at least a trade asset. Outside of that, the roster was largely the same. And a lot of improvement was just hoping that, hey, you keep the band together for one more year. The guys grow with um, you know more continuity. Uh, the same system will give Luke Walton one more chance. Clearly, that that did not work. And so this is a team that needs to blow it up, man. And I think finally, Kings fans have just been waiting for Monte McNair to get involved in the trade deadline and to make moves that are not just on the margins, but really blow up this roster. I think Fox, you watch these games, Fox, Buddy, Barnes, they're all tired of each other, man. They've been doing this for four or five years. Yeah. And, and I think at this point, any change is welcome as long as it's not a lateral move. If it makes us much worse... That's fine. Let's get a high draft pick. If it makes us much better, that's great. Let's compete for the playoffs. The worst thing that can happen, though, is a lateral move. And that's kind of what I fear with some of these trade possibilities. Well, you bring up the idea of getting much worse. And the problem with doing so right now is a guy that you would want back in a trade if you're trying to rebuild is a guy like a Fox, right? Or a guy like Halliburton, where it's like, hey, these are talented players with a change of scenery could be a different version of what they've shown in the league, right? Where they've both shown flashes. Bagley, I think, respectfully, is is maybe not. Um... <laughs> Drop 26 last week, just saying. Him and Mo Bamba are 11 and 12 in the MVP ballot right now for <laughs> me personally. But I think... You know, if you just at least look at it, it it's kind of like you have to segment it with with three categories, right? One is your high value, young prospects, high draft picks, early success. And that's Fox and Halliburton. Then you have your veterans that can help a title team, probably don't move the needle much on a middling team. And that's your Harrison Barnes. It's your Rashawn Holmes, maybe even, even though they just signed him, he's not terribly young, old. And, you know, maybe you even throw a couple other guys in there, like a Terrence Davis or something. I don't know. Then you have like your totally unproven, interesting guys. And that could be basically just Davion Mitchell, who for a while was just always being floated in trades. Oh, sorry. In the veteran categories, of course, also healed. Um, and then Davion Mitchell, who was floated in trades before he was picked in basically every trade, right? The number nine pick was put in like every fake trade. Now that's obviously Davion Mitchell. I think he's... You can correct me, but I feel like he has been as advertised in the sense of he's a good defensive player. I think the offense is hit or miss, maybe more so miss. He's, he's worse, if anything. Yeah. And so it really kind of caps what he can bring other than spot minutes because he's not a Matisse Thybul level defender where he's literally just like truly destroying your world. He's good enough to guard guys, but 
he's not good enough to be like an offensive liability to the to the level that he's been. So, you know, Jerry's obviously still out. So the question is like, which category from there do you think really moves this team in the direction you're looking for? It has to be to me the Fox and Halliburton one, but those are also the guys you have attachment to and also are your best chance to turn into something different. It's either it's either one. Like I don't think it's not like if you don't trade Fox or Halliburton now, their value is going to dramatically change in the following year. So I'm actually okay if we move Buddy. If you move Buddy, you got to move Barnes. You got to move a bunch of those guys in that middle category to really cause a shakeup. And I'm okay with that. I still think that's an okay path. Fox, you know, let's let's talk Fox, right? Because I'm getting pissed off at the discourse around Fox that's emerged. He's having a down year. Kings fans know it. Everyone knows it. But you're acting like we have to throw in first round po- uh, picks with Fox just to get Sabonis. Like, where where's this disrespect coming from? I've got all the stats. I'm ready to get into this argument right <laughs> now if you want. But I don't understand I would love why to. The Fox disrespect? Go ahead. is being so disrespected in terms of what kind of player he is and what kind of player he can be. The 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 real disrespect is coming from if you go down the list. Basically, he's been worse at everything this year. His assists are down. His shooting is down. His three-pointers are down. You know, his um, free-throw attempts are down. Like, it's starting to become one of those things where you look at last year, which seemed like the progression into All-Star. I bought in. I know, obviously, you bought in. We know how many fatheads of Darren Fox you probably own. But it it's feeling like, was that an aberration or was that a side? Because he's now 24, right? He's now in year five. It's a little bit past like, hey, let's not write the story on this guy. He's too young. At some point, we have to think about guys if they are who they are. And I think that regression has been really troubling, right? Like he's never been a good shooter. Last year, he was a little bit better at 32% from three. Now he's back to 25%, which is actually a career low. So at the 42 game mark where you have enough sample size to think that this isn't just a mini slump, that's where the concern comes from. What does he do in the modern NBA aside from being a blur up and down the floor in transition? So here's where I, what I have a problem with because he, I don't know if this is an anomaly year. It's a down year for sure. Or if last year was an anomaly year because he was trending up every season he played. He got better across the board. The one anomaly he had was his three-point shooting sophomore year, which was 37%. And now we know he's – I don't think he's going to be a consistent 37%. No, and that was minimal attempts, right? You're looking at three attempts a game. Fair. But last year, look, he shot, what, 25% from three last year? Uh, No, 32%. Not great at all. But high volume, high efficiency score, still high efficiency. And one of the things I always point to is is at the rim efficiency was elite for a guard. Um, 67 or no, 76 percent, uh, based on basketball references at rim percentage, right? And that was a number that big men, not even a lot of big men, have that number at the rim. And so he had an elite skill, he knows how to play with pace, and he's a guy who can score in, in chunks and was one of the leading scorers in the fourth quarter in the NBA last year. So, what I'm trying to say is that look, after half of the season, yes, he's kind of been down in most areas. But there's a lot of potential. There is a lot of, he's still extremely young. He's only, what, 24 years old. So any team that takes on Fox, it's not like you're taking on some raw project. You're taking on a guy who's putting up stat, who put up stats that John Morant put up this year outside of the three-point shooting, pretty much put up that stat line last year. So don't tell me that there's no place for a point guard who can 
you know, scored 25, 6, and 5 um, on elite efficiency at the rim. I don't know why that guy's not more valued around the league. That's Every all. time I talk to you, you talk about his goddamn efficiency at the rim. Is there any other spots on the court that he's allowed to shoot from? I mean, <laughs> granted, if Ben Simmons had better efficiency at the rim, he wouldn't have passed up that dunk versus Atlanta. But nonetheless, like, this is the problem, right? If you take Ja, part of, okay, okay, several issues with the Ja comparison, namely is that Ja is doing it on the fourth seed. Grizzlies, who also are a top five, top ten defensive unit, which if you look at Fox historically, the defensive numbers are ugly. They're close to being among the worst in the league. Uh, you know, even right now he has negative, you know, 10 net rating between on and off 115 points per hundred possessions defensively that they, that they actually allow when he's on the court. And if you want to look at the splits, they're better defensively with him off. And so you see this consistently throughout his career. You wonder, okay, can this guy be a winning player in the right formula? Now I would argue in your favor regarding Fox and that I'm not sure anybody can succeed in Sacramento. It's, respectfully one of the, the worst franchises in all of sports like I, I i was talking to some wizards buddies today i was like you know we've made the playoffs seven times i think since the kings last made the playoffs and we all hate our franchise so you can imagine that that sort of relative gap between a team who hasn't even sniffed it now there are conference issues of course and strength and all of that but at some point you would have thought you would have like lucked into a version of this team that made the playoffs the fact that it hasn't is obviously much deeper than Fox, but if you're a team and and where I'm what I'm hearing from you is though, it's not that you're totally against the idea of moving him. You just think the compensation should be viewed in a way that's commensurate to what he did last year, being more indicative of who he is versus this season. Exactly, and the fact that he's young and look, if he has a down season early on, he's shown enough from the last couple of years and the. The trajectory has been up. It's not like he's been flat, had one amazing year, and has regressed back to his mean. He's been steadily improving each year as a player. This year, he put on a lot of weight in the weight room, bulked up, has been slower, uh, and is not getting called the same fouls he got last year, not getting those same calls this year. Um, And so a lot of things are are playing into it. But I think you put him in a new change of scenery, and he can still be that 25-point-per-game guy leading your offense. Well, so here's I, the, I just here's want the, the equal return. That's that's what I'm getting pissed off because all these stupid trade offers I see are like Sacramento's got to throw in Fox, Heald, and a first-round <laughs> pick for Karis. This is how it goes, bro. Welcome to the 24-7 media cycle. Remember when Ben, ben Simmons was going to get Dame Lillard or Bradley Beal? Now he can't <laughs> even get like freaking Anthony Simons essentially at this point. Like That's his value. and. He had six months ago. You don't you remember before the the trade deadline last year. We were talking about this. Like he can be the centerpiece of a Harden deal. He yep. can go get a Dame. He'll be the guy. And then you know, six months later, nobody wants to touch this guy with a ten foot pole. So that's just how quickly things change in this league. Yeah, that's fair. Not to mention with Fox, I'll tell you two concerning stats aside from the defense, which I think has been a consistent concern his whole career that you seem to keep. Well, guard yeah. defense is overrated. Like, so many good... I mean, what does John Wall do on defense? I don't care. Like, he had one good year maybe on defense. He made an all-defensive team. John Wall's the greatest shot, shot-blocking point guard in NBA history. Thanks. <laughs> oh, yeah, because blocks is definitely the defining metric for defense. Well, right? I wish it was Fox would at least get some of those. He's career 0.4 blocks, 1.4 steals. Like, this is ugly. No, I, I don't think guard defense is... Ultra important. I'll always point back to the Al Hor- uh, the uh, Al Horford led 
Boston Celtics defense that had Isaiah Thomas, maybe the worst defender of all time um, at point guard and still managed to make a run to the conference finals. So that is true to an extent. At the same time, there has to be some level of effort, even if it's psychologically what the hell your teammates think every time you let the every you know pick and roll you just die on or every time you just lose your man in, in half court set. Like, I feel like that's a big part of the concern where both him and Halliburton are pretty lazy defensively. And and we know what Heal does, which is absolutely nothing. So maybe this gets better just addition by subtraction, whether it's shipping out Healed or sorry, shipping out any of those three. Maybe they just as a collective get better because they're three minus defenders right now. But I, I, what I was going to say is I think the issue with Fox that I have right now, Halliburton has taken a little bit more of the playmaking responsibility so that you, that you expect to see a dip in Fox's assists. Yet that dip is pretty precipitous. Like he's down two assists per game, his assist percentage. So the number of plays that he's on the court where he assists from are down big yet his turnovers are up. And so you're, you're becoming a worse shooter. You're becoming more careless with the ball and you're not spreading it around as much. And there's a lot of telltale signs. I wish even one of them spun a more positive story on Fox. I think part of it though, is that they've been like the same team, and the frustration is getting to him, and you watch him on the court. He's not the same kind of player. And and at some point, like when you're on a bad team, when you're losing night to night in frustrating manner, you don't like the guys you play with, your defense is going to suffer. I bet you defensive output's correlated with winning to a certain extent, not in the other way in terms of guys try harder in defense where there's more at stake. And right now there's nothing at stake in Sacramento. They're just kind of in a – he's in a sleepwalking state on this team. So – I, I get the concern over some of these metrics, but I I still think he's he's a valuable asset. Now, I'm okay with getting rid of Fox just because we need to do something. And Halliburton, who we haven't talked about yet, has shown enough this season that he can be a primary playmaker. He had a string of four games, I think, going 20 and 10 without Fox in the yeah, lineup. Yeah, I think the Hall of Fame asked for the jerseys for, them, for those four games. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he was looking good, right? He's never going to be as good of a scorer as Fox. In terms of the, he's not going to be as aggressive. He'll always be a better shooter, um, more creative in the ways he can score, maybe, but not as good of a finisher, and not picking and choosing his spots like Fox does. Yeah, I'm a big Halliburton fan. Um, I I've always wondered, and I wish obviously the Wizards took him over Denny Avdia, number nine, but nonetheless, I've always wondered kind of what type of role does he project into. Because you watch him, and he's really a gifted passer. He's got great vision. He's very, very unselfish on the court. He's not necessarily going to be the guy to go get 18 to 20 shots a game. But there's some nights where I kind of want him to, and he won't. You know, like I remember I was watching the Mavericks uh, Kings game from the other night, and they ended up winning that actually. Um, but, you know, Luca was out, and so it was kind of a defensive battle of sorts. And I felt like the game was there for him to take over a little bit and he had just come off of that string of 20 and tens, which is why I think I was looking for it. And he may have even gotten close to those numbers that game, but I, I think selflessness is a great quality to have for a good team player. But you think about projecting out as like, is he a one? Is he a two on a, on a good team? You do need a little bit of that ball hog nature to go get your buckets or be able to create it on your own. That's the one thing I'm looking out to see if he can develop that. Or if it's just a personality thing, I don't know. It, it's it's part of it's a personality thing, but part of it's just a who he is as a player. He's a lanky. He's not a guy who can bang down low, right? Yeah, he can put on weight, but he's 
And he's also not a guy with a huge bag of offensive moves, right? Right. He, he can shoot the three. He can play pick and roll well. He can. He's kind of crafty in terms of like his layups and around the rim. But he's not a guy with a, you know, with a hezzy, with a different kind of step back. With with I mean, he has a step back, but I I just don't know if he's ever going to be that kind of player. He's the kind of guy who will top out at twenty four points a game. He's not going to be twenty eight, twenty nine which I think Fox can be. I think Fox can literally be a 28, 29 point per game scorer in the right setting. I mean, and he shit, has to improve. That'd be to leading be that, the league but, in scoring right now. Yeah, but I mean, it's possible. Like, what did, I mean, John Wall only got to what? Like 22 23. Game? 23, 23 in one game. season. Mostly he was at between 18 and 21. And that's but he was what, also much more, many more assists. He was 9 to 11 yeah, assists. He was year. a better, he's a much better passer than Fox, right? But I think to me, the, the reason- Fox comp isn't Wall. To me, it's like, can he be a version of, of like an early Bulls Derrick Rose? And I don't mean the athleticism, but I mean the primarily score first, but can pass. Like Rose's MVP year, he was 24 and 7 or 25 yeah. and 7. And I think that's a great goal. Or a 60-win team, of course. I not think that, you know, Yeah, but, but I mean, circumstances, for- everything, right? I, I think with Sacramento, all these guys, it's hard to really figure out what they are. Because they're playing in this just Just mess of an offense. And and we haven't had a good coach to really get the most out of these guys before. I mean, Mike Malone and Jaeger. Jaeger was pretty good. But um, outside of that, like these guys aren't being coached up either. All right. So let's talk trades here because there are kind of two main teams that I would say Sacramento has been heavily linked to. Right. You got Philadelphia and you've got um, Indiana, which are also two teams that like we talked about for different reasons, but are thought to be very active in this market. So with Philadelphia, you have the situation, like we just talked about at the top of the show where freaking Embiid is putting on like a tour de force every night. It's like at this point, it's him and Jokic is like maybe the two best players in all of basketball with the way they're playing. They, they were the two best players in basketball last year. For some reason, we decided to ignore that. They are again, maybe. So you have that element. It's like, okay, he's 28. Is he really okay with this? Just, situation carrying on for the potential promise of a James Harden or a Dame Lillard or whatever in, in four months again after the season. So it wouldn't be this year. It would be another year that he's putting up historic numbers. They don't get to do anything. So that's one issue. Indiana is a problem where they hire Rick Carlisle. They, you know, are thought to maybe be a team that could contend for a top six, top five seed, right? They had a good amount of talent between Brogdon, Turner, Sabonis, Lavert. Uh, TJ Warren, you know, Chris Duarte, who is a ready-made rookie. So they've really, really struggled. And I think are 12th in the in the East and pretty much not going to make the play-in tournament. So they're looking to shake things up. If you think about it from the King standpoint, there's kind of four players who are in the mix for some version of the Kings players. Like the Kings are interesting because they have so many salaries that are between that like 15 to 25 million. They can basically match with anybody for any player in the league. So you have Ben Simmons, of course, who I just mentioned, and we all in the world, including people who don't follow basketball, want this trade saga to end. Then you have Tobias Harris, who's a recent name that's come up, right? Because now he's sitting on there on this massive contract, totally underperforming that, which we all knew at the time was going to be a lock. Then in in um, in Indiana, you kind of have three guys. You have Levert, Sabonis, and Miles Turner. So if you think about those five players, and I set this up because – what is sort of your philosophy on when you think about how you want this to progress, how you want this to rebuild, tear down, blow it up, or 
move on with these better players. What's your thinking as it relates to those two teams and those targets? The thinking is you want you want to stay young, right? The first mistake you don't want to make is get aging or vets who are over their or past their prime in an effort to kind of make a run at a playoff spot. And the Kings have done that in the past with Cousins. They've gone after the Marco Bellinelli's, the Rajon Rondo's, clearing cap space to get guys like that. That's the first thing you can't do. You need youth. And then the second thing I think is defense. You have to start investing in defense at some point. Um, and and when I talk about defense, I mean a guy like Miles Turner even. And Miles Turner is a little tricky, especially with the injury he just had. I don't know how you know worried they should be about that. But I've been banging the drum for the Kings to get Miles Turner for the last couple of years when he's been dropped in trade talks. Simmons, I think, obviously, we know what he can do on defense. Um, and so I, those are the two things I want to get. Now, the interesting thing with Philly is, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Everyone's made fun of Maury because it's like, hey, look, they've waited too long. Now the, the asking price for Simmons keeps going down and down. But Philly is actually winning right now. Maury can actually play the hand saying, look, we don't really need Simmons. We can play this game as long as we need to. We're not in a rush to get something back. Embiid is balling out. The East looks weak. Philly's playing well. And then you have teams like Sacramento who are getting desperate, and it's clear that there's a you know uh, directive from ownership that they make moves and get something done. So do you think Philly in some ways is actually maybe now poised to get good value for Simmons given that they might have a little bit more leverage? Or do you think that still they've ruined their all the leverage they had originally had. I think he's, I'm going to kind of disagree with you. I think he's made a mockery of this entire process. Like, I think it's turned into a bit of a sham and a bit of a joke. Like every couple days, there's some rumor leaked about some fairly even fair trade in some ways, even sometimes in Philly's favor with the immediate tagline. Philly was not interested or Philly was not enthused or Maury was not, you know, willing to push for those players. And it's just like, Okay, at some point, like, like we have to think about this logically because even if you get the guy that you want to get, you get a 31-year-old Dame who's coming off his worst season, an injury, a bad Olympics. What I mean, where's the promise of that? Like Dame is an old-ish small point guard. The history is not good on those players. As good as he is, he's owed a 50 million plus type extension. He wants a two-year $104 million extension on top of the $250 million extension he signed a few years back. So you're committing to 50 million a year when this guy's 36. If he's already 31 and potentially breaking down, do you really want to bet on that five years from now? So if you're Maury, I think I totally respect his philosophy of it stars above all, fuck depth, none of it matters. I get it, right? It worked for the most part in Houston, though he struggled to find that true second star next to Harden other than Chris Paul. Um, because at some point, even if you get the guy you want, there is a value in the time lost. Like Embiid is 27, 10, and 5 this year. Like 48, 38, you know, 82% splits. Like this shit is not going to happen every year. If it does, like he's a cyborg. But Knowing the injuries he's had, knowing the fragility of his body, knowing the fact that the East is wide open right now with Brooklyn kind of reeling, Milwaukee maybe having some post-championship malaise, nobody's super afraid, I think, of Miami, Cleveland's too young, Charlotte's too young, you know. Isn't this the year to go for it? 
Like, isn't there a version of these trades that are out there like, that you can go for? Like, I don't think Bradley Beal is a silver bullet to getting to winning the title for the Sixers. And they're not getting him anyway. They're not getting him. I don't think Dame Lillard, even if he was healthy, was going to be the silver bullet to getting to winning the title. That doesn't mean settle for McCollum if you think he's over the hill, expensive and hurting. It doesn't mean settle for Jeremy Grant. That package sucked, right? We know that. But, for example, Sacramento coming back here, the the trade that was floated, and again, you don't know what to believe. A lot of this stuff is agents, front offices kind of just leaking through their guys. But the trade was something like Halliburton, Heald, Barnes, and a pick for Simmons and uh, Tobias. But that would be an amazing deal for Philly. That's, That's what I'm saying. Deal. But but the immediate tagline was <laughs> Maury is not enthused. So it's like, okay, well then fuck. We we gotta go to 2K like, and well, create I, the player you want then and the just Kings trade him. were never doing that deal. That was there was no scenario in which they were giving up Howie and a pick and Barnes and and he. If you take on the Harris contract, you get a pick. That's what it should be. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. We're doing them a favor by getting them to offload Harris. He hasn't done much for them this year. I mean, he's putting up numbers, but he hasn't been good for them this year. We're doing them a favor. So that would have to come back with multiple, multiple maybe picks. Or no, maybe not multiple. One pick at least. Well, yeah, it's hard. To, it's almost like you have to construct these types of mega trades as two different deals, right? You're like, for example, the Wizards really want to go get Jeremy Grant for better or worse. Ideally in that deal, again, we're another team because of the Westbrook trade and the way we broke it up into pieces. We have a ton of tradable assets just in terms of contract size. So you could send a Montrez Harrell. You could send a uh, Caldwell Pope, Kuzma, whoever, in addition to your assets, whether that's Rui, Denny, et cetera. But we want to get rid of Bertans because he's an albatross and taking up active space in the DC real estate market. So what we would do in theory, let's say you were trying to do that day, let's say, okay, Bertans for a pick is part one of this deal. Then we'll trade you Denny and something else, you know, Aaron Holiday or whatever for for Jeremy Grant. It's all packaged as one, but that's kind of the way to think about it. No. And I think that's how you'd have to do it if it was Ben Simmons and Tobias, though I'm sure Maury is telling you Tobias is actually like George Gervin in the flesh, so it's hard to negotiate with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So speaking of Ben Simmons and and Tobias, right? That trade, I think I'd be interested in a trade for Simmons and Tobias around Fox, um, without giving up picks. And and I think Tobias is one of those Harris is one of those players who he's Rudy Gay. We had him. We had him on the Kings a couple years ago, right? He's not the most efficient scorer. He's gonna get you eighteen to twenty a game. He's never going to carry your offense night in or night out or can't be counted to carry your offense night in or night out. But he's a, he's a wing who's, um, you know, we don't have many of those. And you pair him up with Simmons, you pair him up with, um, you know, if, if Heald stays, if Barnes stays, I think you can make that roster work. Like that team would make the playoffs. A team built around, if you keep all the other pieces and you just move Fox and maybe Bagley, um, I don't think that gets it done because I don't think, to your point, people are not viewing Fox at the caliber that you're viewing him, even though Simmons' trade value has also been you know, taken a hit. But Maury's going to look at it internally if he's being honest. He's like, maybe I don't get the Beal-Dame guys anymore, but they're sure as hell getting more than Fox, who's never made an all-star team, who's never made an all-in-team. Who? Who, who are they getting that's more than Fox? Name one player that's even been to- like touted as a possibility. Well, you're starting to hear a few rumblings about James Harden this summer. 
Maybe. Sign and trade. The Nets can't be totally thrilled with what he's looked like this season. He's another guy who's a 10-year-plus veteran, would qualify for the 35% max, which means you know, that's a three- or four-year deal maybe for um, – and I think he might be, there's the age 36 rule where you can't have over a five-year deal if you end it over the age of 36. So let's say he's four years, $180 million. You feeling good about that one if you're the Nets? No. But, but Durant, <laughs> You but know, Durant, Maury will pay it. Maury will yeah. pay it. He won't care. And, but does Durant really want another guy who doesn't love basketball on that team? It's fair, but Durant signed under contract now for another four years. Not that they would just like hold that hostage, hold him over that over over his head, but the reality is they don't have to play. It's not like LeBron and Cleveland playing on one and ones every year. Yeah, yeah, they've got. He's him. he's committed to something, and so who knows, man? Because there's a version in which if you can guarantee Kyrie can return next year, and we still don't know what the hell's going on with COVID and everything else, but you got to think at some point. Actually, I won't say you got to think. It's possible the vaccine mandate stays in place. We don't know. Uh, COVID's not going to go away by next year's, um, you know, by next year's start of the season. But for the purposes of the argument, let's say he's able to be a full time player. Do you think his offensive production is enough to supplement what Harden gave you? Plus, you get all the defense and playmaking still from from Simmons. I mean, it's not like that big three is bad. No, it's not. And what was the biggest problem in Philly? No late game shot creation. Which when you have you two of the that you don't yeah, have to worry about. Exactly. And so who knows, right? Like maybe that and like if you look at it like, okay, would I rather have twenty seven year old Ben Simmons who maybe hates basketball, but maybe just like in New York, by the way, which is a bad idea, I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> um or Harden who loves basketball but is at the twilight of his career. You know? And and maybe you can take advantage of Maury's infatuation with him. To get a good deal, because it might not be a one for one. Maybe you get, you know, Simmons and a Matisse Tybal, or Simmons and a Maxi. They're not giving up Tybal, or Maxi, or Seth Curry, or someone. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because if you're the Nets, you don't care about youth. You want whoever can help you win now. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I, I think Tybal becomes redundant if you already get Simmons. Yeah, um, or Danny Green. I don't know. Just yeah, throwing out random bodies, warm shooting. bodies that they have. Yeah. So. It's possible, but as as Maury, can you play that game of let's just ride it out till the summer? Um, I think I mean, it's maybe. dumb, but I, 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 I personally think it's dumb. The more I think about it, though, the more it seems like he's willing to do that. And like you said, if they're trying to capitalize on that window this year, you know, that's a that's an incentive to make something happen now as opposed to waste. I mean, no I think that's the what? biggest argument for doing it right now. It's like you're wasting a prime, potentially MVP season from Embiid, right? Who knows how the rest of it plays out. Um, to a roster that, as good as they're doing, is not going to win without additional talent. So, Because the other thing is, normally you can look at this and say, hey, we shouldn't sell the farm for player X because we're just going to have a chance of getting him in free agency or we're going to get him here. And like you can't always count on that, but there's at least some logic. Like, for example... The Clippers kind of had a sense Kawhi was coming, right? Or the Lakers knew that Anthony Davis would eventually just ask out only to L.A. So they weren't worried about him being traded to Boston and stuff like that. With the Sixers, you're not selling the farm because you're selling a player who's actively not on the court for you. So it doesn't matter, right? Like 
that's the thing. They're trading a guy who is sitting there at 35 million of cap space doing absolutely nothing. So it's only going to be a net positive. You know, let's say it's Simmons and picks or Simmons and maybe you trade one rotational player. The net gain to your current roster this season is huge because one of those two guys that you're giving up is doesn't even play. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean. So I, I, I just think it's, look, whatever kind of deal they get at whatever point, if they don't do it this season, this season's gone forever. It's never coming back. That's true. That's true. So, I mean, I, I – and, you know, the argument also against Fox for Philly is that you have Maxi, um, who's – he's not the same as Fox, but in some ways it's somewhat redundant to bring in Fox given the way, you know, Maxi's been um, playing and and you're not adding any shooting, so you're not adding something that a team really needs. You're just – but Maury, we know, goes after talent. He's a guy who believes in stockpile talent and then figure it out. Yeah, and so, talent first, second, and third, fit and chemistry last. And I think that's why the argument for Fox can be there. You figure out the fit and how it works later, like Fox and Embiid, how does that spacing work, all of that. But uh, you're getting I a think, young asset who, you know what, Fox can be flipped again if you need to. Like, if, if there's anything we learn about the NBA is that these guys can get flipped multiple times, especially when you're 24 years old. I think if they can find a way to get Fox and Barnes... Yeah, that's, that's the deal I would structure. Yeah, out. and the Kings will throw in Barnes in any deal. We don't care. The problem is these salaries start stacking; they get a little too high. Because I think Fox and Barnes are like fifty million combined, and that's when you have to get into some of the cap gymnastics to make but, it all work. But just taking back Simmons and Tobias is what? Oh yeah, what yeah. If, if Tobias is in the picture, yes. But, then we're gonna have to add like even more, right? So <laughs> right. So the whole thing. I mean, it's all about posturing at this point. That's why we still have four weeks to go. It's all about like what can we present as our front. Um, versus what's actually going to happen when push comes to shove. I mean, here's here's what I think should happen. Monty McNair is a Maury disciple, right? He grew up in the Rockets kind of gym. No, that's a good point. Maury should do him a favor, man. Throw him a bone. Like, give, <laughs> let the Kings have a good deal for once. Come out on the right side of these trades. Like the old, uh, the old uh, Kevin McHale sending KG exactly. gift wrapping KG to Boston. Exactly to Danny Ainge. Like, we got to have something like that happen, and I'll be happy. Do the Wizards, does uh, Tommy Shepard have any like friends around the league that maybe they could uh, sort of send <laughs> do us a favor here? Or is that just forever not going to happen? Yeah, I, I don't think so. Um, but moving on to the Pacers, so the Pacers are the other team, right? So the Pacers, we already know, have been in trade rumors forever with Miles Turner. Um, Sabonis is now pretty much up for, uh, for a trade as well. They're trying to blow things up. So where... What do you think are some realistic spots for both of those guys? Um, well, I think that – so the Turner the Turner injury really complicates things, right? Because he has another foot injury. He missed 20 games last year with a foot injury. He has another one. Is already diagnosed to be out from beyond the trade deadline. It would be hard for a team to take that on without knowing what his timetable was, especially because a team that does it is probably expecting him to compete this season. So I kind of think Turner stays put. With Sabonis, I mean, as a Wizards fan, I want us to do whatever we can to get him. I think he's a flawed player. I think he's a limited player. But I think if you go down the list and look at just pure productivity, there's not a lot of bigs in the league who just put up the raw numbers that he does. Now, we've seen it with Cat. We've seen it with Cousins. 
We've seen it with, you know, even some of those Anthony Davis in New Orleans years where numbers don't always equate to wins, don't always equate to positive court value. But at some point, I do wonder if it's just like, well, Indiana has been solid, but they've never had like above the top stars. And they've made the playoffs most years with Sabonis. It's not like they haven't done that. They've struggled the last couple, but before that, they were kind of consistently in the top eight. And is he just a complimentary star like so many more are, right? Like Beal, I mean, everyone chasing after Beal, he's the eighth seed or not even in the playoffs half the time. So what's the difference? Um, maybe if you pair them together, that would be interesting. But I like Sabonis. If if I could really pick one one roster, I really like him in Toronto, just given their glut of, of athletic wings. I think that could be a good trade. Something around the OG and Anobi, Siakam, some of those guys. I mean, yeah, I don't know if Siakam actually possibly. Uh, I I think the guy the problem with things guys like Sabonis is uh, it's exactly what you said, right? That you can't build around these guys. We've learned that. Kings have learned that the hard way. Timberwolves are learning that with Towns, even though Towns is an immensely greater talent than Sabonis is. And so at that point, what is Sabonis? I don't even know if he can be the second best player in your team. I think he might be a third kind of banana. And so if you're blowing up your roster to get Sabonis, like let's say the Kings do this Fox trade where they trade Fox, um, I don't know, and Barnes, or I don't know, you know, for Sabonis Levert, I don't know what the, the, you do to make the salaries match. Yeah. You're bringing back Sabonis as a centerpiece. I'm still not convinced that Halley and Sabonis is going to get you much higher in the West than the ninth or eighth seed. Right. Um, and is he a guy you can continue to build around? Maybe, but I don't know if he really solves the Kings' problems. And so you're pretty much just taking another shot at getting a young, talented player like you already have with Fox. The questions around Fox are, can you really build around him? And we don't know that yet. And I still don't know if you can do that with Sabonis. The Indiana's infrastructure has been good. They've had a lot of good role players around him. So I don't think we can give Sabonis the sole credit for taking them to the playoffs all those years. And so that's my worry. I, I'd be okay with Sabonis. I just think that it's looking at his all-star numbers and uh, like you know the number of times he's made all-star games and it's 25 points a game or whatever it is. He doesn't average 25. What was his high? Like 23? Uh, he averaged, I mean, he did average, let me see. He's averaging 19 and 12 this year, which is pretty pretty yeah. solid. Um, Let's see what he's averaged, his highest in his career. So he averaged 20 last year. That was his high, 20 and 12. And and I'd want to get, like, and I'd be happier with Sabonis if we could be counted on hiring a good coach and putting in a right offensive system that can take advantage of his passing, can play him at the high post, with this Kings yeah, team, why can't he be like a poor man's Jokic, who is a good passer, a phenomenal rebounder, maybe not the most athletic rim protector, but again, in the right scheme, can can mask some of those deficiencies. And the Nuggets have pretty much had a top 10 to 12 unit the last few years, and they're even better this year. So why is that not a potential for him? It is a potential for him. It's just that you need you need to trust the Kings to make the, the right coaching hire, put in a scheme around him, uh, and, and a lot of other things. My point is... There are a lot of other variables that are still needed to be successful, even with a talent as good as Sabonis. Dude, so, now that I'm thinking about it, I might even be more hyped on him than when I when we started recording. He's only 25. He's under contract. He's got this plus two more years at a very, very reasonable number, under 20 million a year. Thinking about how the Cavs can explode, that's a freaking bargain. You're crazy, actually. I think for not wanting him. This is the guy. I I want him. I want him at the right price. I want Fox for Sabonis. Fuck and a pick. those guys. This is and the a guy. Pick. 
<laughs> or Sabonis and Karis LeVert for Fox. And the Tyler. problem with LeVert, he's a nice player. He has a specific style that's like he's not that good of a shooter and he needs the ball in his hands a lot and he's always hurt. So it's like this weird combination that I just think he makes more sense in theory than he does in practice. He's not a winning winning player, if that makes sense. Like he can put up raw stats, but yeah, I, I feel like he just deal. gets volume numbers because he has a lot of shots. I'm not sure. Look, I, mean, I, I can I can talk myself into Sabonis. I just, man, I love De'Aaron Fox. I'm so sad with what's happened this year. I still think he's got a lot of potential. Like, you watch these press conferences this year, and he used to be such a happy-go-lucky kid, like always hyped, always talking about how much he loves the city, the fans. And after he got paid, and I'm not saying they're correlated, but after he got paid... And after you know, what he's gone through this season, this guy looks like he's ready to get the fuck out. So this, I, is, the, this is the time, right? It, Year five, you get your extension. This is when people start getting really disgruntled because they're like, oh, yeah, I'm in a bad basketball situation and I wasn't going to not sign the extension. So what comes next? Yeah. So I'll admit, I think I'm maybe, you know, I think Simonis actually would be would be a nice little return. But I don't know. All right. Yeah. So the last few guys to talk about Jeremy Grant, he's been rumored quite a bit. He, he left at Denver to take on a bigger role, which I think he's acquitted himself. You know, he, he, he got off to a really hard start last year. People were like, Holy shit. I didn't know we had, he had it in him. He's cooled off last year. And then since then shooting is, has declined a bit shooting only 41% from the field, 33% from three. So He's another one of those guys, like you said, who's currently projecting as a high-volume numbers guy, similar to Levert. I think he's a little bit better because he's usually more durable and he's a bit more of a versatile defender. He can, even in the in the bubble run for Denver, he was guarding you know Paul George. He was guarding Kawhi. I mean, he got trucked by LeBron, but neither here nor there. So I think he has some value to teams, but you got to think if he goes back to a good team, he might look more like Denver Jeremy Grant versus Detroit Jeremy Grant, which is clearly not his desire. He wants to keep that offensive role. I just don't know what team that is. So what do you think about his his fit? Like, you know, Washington is at the top of that book. The Lakers have been talked about. I would actually consider maybe a team like Dallas, even as a secondary score off Luka could be interesting. So do you like him? Do you think he's overrated? Is it just us getting bored because Detroit's horrific? Or what? what are your thoughts here? I mean, he's a classic case of a guy who, when he plays a very specific role, he can be elite at that role. But you give him the keys to the car, and he kind of underwhelms a bit. And But once you've given him the keys to the car, it's tough to say, right? Like, are those habits? Like, if he goes to the Lakers, I think the Lakers are actually would be a great fit if he can beat Denver Jeremy Grant. Um, and, and the fact that, you know, he can help generate some offense from them when they need it because that team – goes through stretches where they struggle to find, you know, a good offensive solution. Yeah. At the same time, given the shit show that team is in, I don't know if Jeremy Grant is going to solve their problems. Right. So Dallas, I did not think about Dallas. That's an interesting one. Um, And Washington, like, look, if I'm Washington, I would, why not? Why not? Like, where, where are you going right now? Like, why not take a chance at another talent? Like who, where are we going with Jeremy Grant? Nowhere. Yeah, but I mean, who would you send out in that in that package? So the this would be like I think you'd have to move Bertans, and that means you'd have to give up a pick. 
Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. You're not moving Bertons without a pick attached. Right. But the problem is if you don't move Bertons, if you move, let's say, because it'll cost either Rui or Denny. Let's just for the sake of purposes say Denny because Rui has barely played the season. Denny, Bertons, and a first for Jeremy Grant would be the structure of the deal. Oh, yeah. Now, you don't have to do that. You could put Harrell instead of Bertons and the first, right? And Harrell has some value to a lot of veteran teams. I think they could flip him or do whatever. The problem with that is you look at your cap sheet and he's due an extension and he wants four years, $112 million extension right now, apparently. So you're going to be paying him. You're going to be potentially paying Beal the Supermax, which is going to be a guaranteed top five worst contract in the league in five years. Put that down. Um, <laughs> and you're going to end up, like you said, where are we going? Well, we're going to be going nowhere that different with a much, much more expensive core. So I'm torn because, like like you said, it's like if we're going to keep Beal, might as well figure out the best way to create a team around him. We're not going to wait for Rui and Denny to turn in from 10-point players a game to like 12-point players a game, you know? So it's like who gives a shit? But it's definitely dark time. Or you, time or line, you keep Rui and Denny and, you, like you said, you move Harrell. Like, yeah, short term, it looks like that'll – impact the team given how much of a role Harold plays but yeah Harold's just another guy right he's not he's a guy and you know he's gonna have some value but can you get like a protected first for him if you can I really would say that that's a move to make because we already have two other centers and what's interesting is we so you're aware for the for the listeners there's something called the, the stepian rule right which means you cannot have two consecutive first round picks outstanding at once this is because the owner of the Cleveland Cavs in the 80s, Stepien, was like drunk with power and just just slinging first-rounders everywhere. So they're like, all right, we need this rule to protect him and the league from themselves. So basically what happens is if you were a team like, let's take Cleveland, they took Anthony Bennett number one. Then the next year they took – they had the number one pick. They took Andrew Wiggins and then they traded Andrew Wiggins after the fact. So there wasn't like any with Anthony Bennett. So it weren't like the picks were outstanding at the same time. Um, bad example, actually, because they both were drafted by Cleveland. But the point being, I can make a trade of the pick after I draft them. So, yeah, that's a good point. Like Wiggins being traded didn't affect the ability to trade next year's pick because they had done it after they had drafted him. Right. One of the interesting things that is happening is there are such creative protections on picks where it'll be like 23 first rounder lottery protected. Then the next year is top 10 protected. The year after that is top eight protected, et cetera, et cetera, before it turns into two first round, two second rounders. The wizards in the John wall trade for Russell Westbrook included a 23 lottery protected first. That's got protections all the way to 28. So you can't trade a first rounder till 2030. <laughs> if you're the Wizards, unless you go to Oklahoma City, who currently has that pick and give them something to take protections off, which is kind of insane because you're actually doing them a favor by taking protections off. But yeah. that's the only way your next year's picks become eligible. So an interesting wrinkle, I guess, with the sophistication of today's trades. That is interesting. Like too much protection is actually bad. Yeah. And then you end up paying someone to to get rid of that protection, which is only hurting you ultimately. Further, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then the flip sides are teams like Milwaukee, the Lakers, the Clippers, who have a ton of picks outstanding from these big trades that they made. They can't trade picks because they have every other year is going out already. Yeah. So, um, all right, anything else on the trade market? Sorry, that was a 
monologue there. No, man. I mean, I, uh, I guess you got this all your train... Fox frustration out. Yeah, I guess this. I've told you this, right? The Kings, Kings fans have put up with a lot of stuff over the years, but this is the first year in which it's really. I, I don't watch Kings games anymore. And that's, I've never done that every year, no matter how bad they've been. I've tuned in, I've watched, I've stopped watching games altogether. Um, and I just want something to happen, right? And, and just because you want a trade to happen doesn't mean you should get fleeced and self, you know, low yeah. on Fox. And, and that's the only thing. I want to make sure Monty McNair does get back the right value. And I hope other teams realize that De'Aaron Fox does carry a lot of value despite the season. So that's it. That's my Fox rant. I think that's fair. And I will say, though, once you get into the I just want something to happen, that's dangerous drunk 2K mode. So hopefully <laughs> Monty McNair is taking a more uh, measured approach to the deadline. So we'll see what happens. All right. Wrapping up with NFL, we had our wild card weekend in the books. Games mostly sucked. Um, I think the Cowboys Niners game was the only one score game. Um, oh, Bengals Raiders as well. But that one was a boring field goal fest with terrible refereeing. So mostly blowouts. This is what a lot of people are talking about. Are the seven seeds really necessary to be sacrificed at the altar of Tom Brady and uh, Patrick Mahomes? But at any rate, you went four and two. Um, I went three and three, though. There's a technicality that I might be able to go four and two because I did pick the Bengals originally. Oh, come on. Come on. Before you goaded me into switching because you said I had no underdogs. Um. <laughs> And then the one underdog I picked, the Cardinals, looked like they weren't aware that the game was actually being played that night. Um, <laughs> so, Bengals, you had the Pats, Eagles, which were your two losses, and then you got 49ers, Chiefs, and Rams, right? I missed on the Raiders, Cowboys, and Cardinals. So, and then got the Bills, Bucks, and Chiefs, right? So, going into week two, or sorry, the next Wait, round. Wait, hold on. Didn't we discuss last week that whoever got more picks right, the at other the end person of the would thing. have to say... Oh, the end of the playoffs. At the like, end, the I, have, I have just an enormous amount of time for a comeback here. Okay. Um, all right, so we'll alternate picks just so we don't ride, you know, each other, tail each other, or fade each other here. So, and we can talk about last week's games in the context of how you feel this week. So, Bengals are the first game. Somehow we got our second Shakey's game. Usually Shakey's stops after wild card, but I think Bengals Titans might honestly qualify. Oh, that's the first total Shakey's game. Yeah, I think we've seen this in the Shakey's game like four <laughs> times, but Titans are three and a half point favorites, maybe the most disrespected one seed of all time. They're plus 850 to win the Super Bowl. So three and a half points over Joey Burrow and the Bengals. I'm going to go with Joey B and the Bengals to cover. I think it's going to be a close game. I still pick the Titans to win. I just think there's too much backdoor potential. Um, this is an offense that can put up points. This is an offense that went down two scores against the Chiefs and then came back and won that game. Um, the Titans have been up and Titans are a really good team this year, but defensively they have been susceptible. Uh, I think the Bengals can make it close, even if it's a backdoor cover. Um, and look, I, I didn't take away that much from that Bengals Raiders game. Like you said, it was, it was really weird. Um, but one thing we do know about the Bengals is, they can put up points. And I thought, you know, their biggest weakness is definitely their offensive line. And they held up decently well against the Raiders pass rush last week. And I don't think the Titans present anything that scary. Um, so they should be able to put up points. And I like them to cover. We're not doing locks on this segment, but this is a stone cold lock for me, Tennessee. Listen, 
I prefaced this early up front. Why is this team being slept on so much? Like they didn't beat the Bills. Like they didn't beat the Chiefs. Like they didn't, you know, continue to play well, win games, despite missing what Henry for eight or nine games, missing AJ Brown, missing Julio Jones. The whole gang is back. You didn't even mention Derrick Henry returning. What's the one thing Joe Burrow can't do? He can't throw the ball if he's on the sidelines. And this is the prime ball control offense. I expect 25 carries for Henry, assuming health. And even if he doesn't get that many, Donta Foreman has proven to be more than capable of stepping up into that lead back role. We saw it. A.J. Brown's going to get physical. This game reminds me a lot of a game last year with the fellow AFC North uh, team, the Browns, who won their first round game against uh, Pittsburgh, and it was the first win in forever, just like it was for the Bengals. They go into Arrowhead, play a competitive game, but were ultimately outclassed by the Chiefs. I think that's going to happen again. There are levels to this, and the Bengals are an awesome you know, story. I think Joe Burrow is, you know, if you had to do a fantasy draft for the next 10 years of quarterbacks, does he go lower than third, fourth? No. Like it's between Mahomes, Herbert, Burrow, and Josh Allen probably, right? Maybe you throw Lamar in there. Maybe you throw Deshaun Watson in there. Maybe, you know, a couple other guys, but that's the list right now. So I think I love Burrow. I just think this stage is going to be a little bit too big for him. And Tennessee's been there before. And this this core, specifically Tannehill, has won multiple big time playoff games, including, you know, conference final, uh, you know, conference championship run a couple of years ago. So give me the Titans. I'm rooting hard for Tennessee because I want Tennessee to you? be a tougher matchup for the Bills or for the Chiefs, and I want new blood in the Super Bowl. Um, well, let me say, tell you, those they're not going to beat the Chiefs or the Bills, so maybe you'd better hope for Burrow <laughs> to go on some crazy hot streak. Yeah, we'll see. All right, 49ers at the Packers, five and a half. So I'll do the NFC teams. You can do AFC. I'm going – that's a big line for a team that has given the Packers fits in the past. They almost stole a game in week three, if not for some crazy Rodgers heroics. They beat the brakes off the Packers two years ago in the the conference championship with Raheem Mostert, if you remember, running for four touchdowns that game. Jimmy threw like ten passes total on his best Mac Jones behavior. Doesn't matter. I'm going Packers. I think that this team is primed. They are going to they are not going to do everything they did did, everything they just went through to lose in the first game. And I know they could five and a half is big enough. It's the Vegas zone, as Simmons and Sal like to say, which means they don't really know what's going on. I don't love it, but I'm taking the Packers by a touchdown. I'm going to ride the Niners once again. They're not afraid. I think that last game gave them a lot of confidence. Um, and look, they've done this twice in the past. How many years? Seven, you stretching back to Kaepernick, maybe? Oh, well, who the gives a fuck about the cap? That is a different the coaching Niners. staff. Look, Why don't we include McCarthy and Rogers Super Bowl in 2011 while we're at it? And maybe some <laughs> of those Favre years. I, I, I think that five and a half is still a lot. I think this will be a close game. Um, the Packers definitely have the potential to kind of, if they go up early, the Niners aren't a team built to come back, especially with all the news coming out about Jimmy's injuries this week. Like, um, you know, there's there's been more reports about all the different ailments he's dealing with and it, it, his thumb and his, 
was his shoulder. But anyways, I still think that this Niners team, Shanahan's going to have them ready. It's going to be a great matchup. It's going to be a close game. I think the Packers win, but I, I'm going with the Niners to cover. This is the weird thing because, you know, the Packers, people, I'm excited for the fact that they're getting Jair Alexander back, Zadarius Smith, you know, Bakhtiari already returned before the uh, before the season ended. But what are those two going to look like? Like, they haven't played since week four and week one, respectively. So how do we just assume that they're going to come in and be immediate lockdown guys, right? So Jair's a guy that's really interesting because he's a lockdown corner, but the Niners don't really have traditional wide receivers. No. Um, Debo is a back in the backfield half the time. Brandon Ayuk is almost like a mini tight end in some ways. Kittle is obviously a beast in his own right. So I think it's interesting to see how they're going to play them and how much, because like, LaFleur has to be thinking back to that conference championship game about he couldn't get off the field. Um, the personnel is a little different from then till now. And Rodgers and Adams look different now than they did a couple years ago. So maybe that works in their favor. That game was also in San Francisco. Um, this one will be in Green Bay. And they so. barely won. They barely. Not the week three. I'm talking about conference championship. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Week yeah, three yeah. was in week three was in SF, and yeah, this is going to be really, really cold. And I think it might have to. It might honestly come down to Nick Bosa and whether he plays or not. The, because, so that I was going to say, that's the what it hinges on. Because it looks like Fred Warner is going to be fine. He'll be playing. Yeah. And if Bosa, if you can't get the pass rush going against, yeah, we already know the Niners' corners are susceptible big time. Uh, it's big kind time. of a patchwork secondary. I just think, dude, look, Zaire Alexander, as good as he is. He plays only really on one side of the field. Last year, um, you thought you'd think he'd get he'd guard Mike Evans, but the way they lined up Mike Evans, he didn't stay on they him. Put Mike Evans and Kevin King on him all game long. Towards the Packers, and similarly, um, the Niners move their their pieces all around the field, right? Like Debo Ayuk, like these guys aren't just going to be lining up on the outside and going one on one against Jair Alexander. So I think some of his impact is neutralized a bit against an offense like the Niners. And uh, look, the, the Packers could come out of this and completely blow them out the water, but I just think that there's enough on the Niners side to be positive that this game will be close. So, what stock, if any, do you put into both the Niners and the Rams traveling west to east on a short week? Yeah, that's the records are never good for those teams, and on top of that, West Coast teams traveling to the cold in the playoffs also has a miserable track record. Um, but the Niners are built to run. They're yeah. they're built they're, they're built not, like a cold weather team. They're built like a cold weather team, and they're a tough physical team. So I think some of that is is not is kind of overblown for a team like the Niners. But it does matter because it's going to be cold. I think it's what low of two potentially like that. Yeah, yeah that I mean that means Chicago is going to be cold as shit too, which is a personal <laughs> problem for myself. But <laughs> you know you know who this Niners team reminds me so much of, and it's making me freaking panic because obviously you know i'm a vested interest in the packers winning it's the fact that they look exactly like the 2011 giants um the team that if you remember beat the 15 and one packers at home in round two last time the pack last time rogers lost in round two and uh or at least uh, as the as i think at home in round two and like that team was coming off the Super Bowl win. So they were basically like ready to repeat. And it was pretty much a foregone conclusion. Yep. Collision course, Brady versus Rodgers in the Super Bowl. Suddenly, same thing you said, get pressure with your front four, hang seven back, 
you know, bother them in coverage by also, you know, harassing the quarterback limited, you know, Eli Manning, Jimmy G, not a whole lot different there and a really strong running game. So that's, what's making me panic. But I think this Packers team is a little bit more balanced than they've been in the past. Like Dylan and Jones are about as good of a one, two as you can get running back wise. And their O-line has played great all year, despite being, you know, number of backups. So I'm hoping that the Packers actually look at this as, Let's us play ball control. Why do we need to give them the ball back? Like let's let's show them we can run too. Rodgers makes a couple timely throws per down. Maybe I should take the Niners actually after this breakdown, but <laughs> I'll just stick to my guns and take my man A Raj. Yeah, I mean, but and, and the other thing is Lambo, if you look at the record in Lambo in the playoffs, everyone acts like Lambo it's impossible for the the Packers to lose at Lambo. It was back in the day. But in the Packers era, it they have been susceptible. And they not had... even great quarterbacks have gone in there. Like Vic won there. Kaepernick won there. We just mentioned Eli Manning won there. Of yeah. course, Brady did last year. Russell Wilson went in there and won. So it's not exactly. like, yeah, it's not this <laughs> impenetrable fortress. Like, I don't know. Yeah, so. All right. Next up, we have uh, the Rams and the Bucks. Three-point favorites. The Bucks, defending champions beat the shit out of the Eagles last week. The Rams beat the shit out of the Cardinals. We kind of, at least the Eagles-Bucks game, that was to be expected. I think the Rams did a, looked really impressive, maybe the most impressive team in round one, uh, given their competition and everything else going on. I guess I, I'll go first. Um, I like the Rams. Um, and I don't love them. I know you love them, which you'll get into and make us all want to blow our brains out when the Bucks win next week. But the thing about the Rams, they have played really well against this Tampa version of Brady. They beat them fairly convincingly both times they've played in the last two seasons. Now I'll caveat by that by saying the Saints also went 4-0 and against Brady and lost in the playoffs last year. So that's a different story. I just think the Rams, Aaron Donald, Von Miller, it's starting to come together. The Stars are playing well. They're all healthy. They just got to hope Stafford doesn't kill it, kill them with like a couple backbreaking picks. And at least the weather won't be a concern. Um, it's going to be nice weather and Brady can play in the cold. As we know, Stafford has not really proven to be able to. So that would have been a huge disadvantage if they were a Northern team. Um, I'm going to go Rams. I don't love it. And I think we're going to get Rogers Brady again. I'm just doing it. You know how confident I am about this Rams team in this game. I this is the lock of the week, lock of the year. Rams are gonna beat the Bucks. And look, it's you can say I'm emotional hedging. I'm you know, whatever, just saying that because I don't want to be disappointed. The truth is, this is the worst possible matchup the Bucks could have had. Um, their offensive line is banged up. Tristan Wirfs is in a boot. He's probably not gonna play on Sunday. Um, and that's the worst thing you can have when you're going up against Aaron Donald and that defensive line. Um, we all know Brady, if you get pressure with four, he's not going to roll out of the pocket. He's not going to make plays. It's going to disrupt what we try to do on offense. And look, the good thing is Brady has been getting the ball out of his hands really fast this year. The bad thing is we don't have the receivers who can win one-on-one. -on -one. We have Evans, um, who, you know, Ramsey didn't really match up against him that much earlier this season, but he could. And we have a bunch of guys, no names, like Brashad Perriman and Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller, and those guys aren't beating you 
a lot of those guys are built on speed. Their game is built on speed. They can run a deep route and go long on you. But if you're talking about those quick two-second, three-second ball needs to be out of his hands. That's what you need Chris Godwin for, right? And, or and Antonio I feel like, Brown. Or Antonio Brown. And, and these guys aren't winning their matchups that quickly um, or getting open that quickly. So it's going to be a little bit tougher on offense. And then on defense, you know, the Rams play a style that the Bucks struggle to stop. The Bucks love playing against the run. The Rams don't care about the run. Um, and Stafford is, is going to air it out. And so the one positive thing for the Bucks is the last four games in the playoffs they've played have been against teams they played already in the regular season. The Eagles, who they beat, and then they beat again. The Chiefs, who they lost to, and they beat. The Saints, who they lost to, and they beat. And the Packers, who they beat, and they beat. And so I think Todd Bowles knows how to scheme up a good defensive game plan after playing a team once. Yeah. That's the hope you hold on to as a Bucks fan. But I just think this year with all the injuries is not meant to be. And so this well, is where I it mean, is. yeah. And you have to think about how much, because like a lot of these are repeats, right? Bills and Chiefs played, um, Packers and Niners played, Bucks and Rams played. And I don't think the Titans and Bengals did, but nonetheless, there's those games were also quite a bit ago. Like those teams played September 26th. How much can you take from that? Right. It's, it's unclear. You know, on one hand, the Bucks. I'm looking at it, the box score right now. They're leading rusher. Guess who it was? Tom Brady. Yeah. I was at Three that yard. game. I was at oh, that That's game. right. Three <laughs> carries, 14 yards, and a touchdown. So since then, they've totally changed the role for Leonard Fournette, and he's supposed to be back this week, which I think is big news. On the flip side, you know, Chris Godwin had six for 74, and so he was involved. Giovanni Bernard had nine for 51 out of the backfield. So there are different guys and Bernard's still active, but I just don't know how much of a role he's going to play. We'll see. I He'll mean, play to, your po- to your point, maybe they do need him to get some quick looks. And I think the Rams, if they have a weak point on their defense, it's their linebacking core. Uh, it's another reason I think Gronk and Brait are going to be important here because if they win the battles and like linebackers and safeties are kind of the weak points for, for the Rams, their real strength is the D line edge and then corner. So I think, you know, left, which is going to have to figure out how to attack that on the, and then on the flip side, you look at it like Stafford may have played his best game of the year that year, 343 yards, four scores, yep. no picks. Wasn't even barely touched. Right. Do we know that that's p- possible again? You know, there's no Robert Woods enter OBJ. There's no Deshaun Jackson who went three for one twenty yeah, to score. So, us. so many personnel differences that it's going to be hard to kind of take a lot from that. The only thing I'd say is that, the tape, at least on the main guys, is out there. And I'm excited for it. I think this is the game. I would say I'm most excited for Bills Chiefs, and then this is second. Um, yep. Just because Bills Chiefs could feel like a little bit of the passing of the torch, even though both QBs are in the same era. Yeah. This one feels like when you're watching Matt Stafford, it's always a bit of a train wreck waiting to happen, especially late in the year. So I don't know. I think you're doing your emotional hedge, which is fine. You respect, I respect it. I'm just going to take the Rams because I do think they match up really well. All right. Should be noted, um, you've also placed a wager on the Rams, which feels wrong from a fandom standpoint, but, you know, who am I to judge? I did that all last year, too, and it, and it led to a Super Bowl. If I got to pay for the Super Bowl, I will do that every time. Can I do that? Should I have bet Washington <laughs> against Washington more? Actually, no, wait. I think I bet against them, like, every game this year. <laughs> Um, all right. Chiefs, Bills. Saw this in the conference championship last year. It was a blowout. Played earlier this year. The Bills won in, in pretty convincing fashion. 
They looked awesome recently, despite some early speed bumps. Same with the Chiefs. Two kind of weird teams that also feel like the best teams in the AFC. They unfortunately are playing in this round versus the conference championship. Um, but that was because the Chiefs blew a 14-point lead, like you said, to the Bengals. So one and a half Chiefs are favored. Who do you got? I am absolutely shocked that the Chiefs are only one and a half point favorites. We always say a home home team gets three points, right? Yeah. Um, so this is essentially saying on a neutral field, Buffalo is favored, which blows my mind. Like, look, I know they had that his like pretty much historic offensive performance last week where they didn't what punt, they didn't kick field they had goals. The per- they had a perfect, uh, perfect offensive game. Perfect Seven offensive game. and one kneel down on eight drives. Um, and I, I, I think a lot of people are overreacting to that game. Um, you take a page out of Bill Simmons's playoff manifesto. Beware of the team that. Uh, Look too, know, good look, look too good the previous week. too good the previous week. I like the Chiefs here. I like them in a big win, 10-plus points. Uh, I just think Buffalo has been very inconsistent all year. Like, as good as they've looked, they've had a lot of worrisome losses. And, not, and, and look, every team has worrisome losses, but they've had times where their offense gets stuck in mud. And yeah. you can't afford that against Kansas City. I As much as Kansas City has had their own issues, they're getting back Clyde's Edward-Hilaire. They've tapped into a couple different things that have been working really well for them. Mahomes is looking more like Mahomes. I, I, I think they win by 10. Yeah, I'm with you here. I go Chiefs as well. As much as I love Josh Allen and the way he's progressed and how much f- fucking fun he is to watch, and him and Diggs is just a really awesome combination. This is the same Bills team that lost to the Jags 9-6, to six, right? It's the same mm-hmm. Bills team that gave up like 200 yards and four touchdowns to Jonathan Taylor and got smoked at home. It's the same one that lost to a Mac Jones-led Patriots team where he threw the ball three times. And went down 24-3 yes, to three against the Bucs in the first half. Yeah, and pretty much clawed their way back to a overtime loss, but yeah. definitely didn't feel that way for the first 30 minutes. So all that to say, the fact that they were able to do that against the Bucs, the fact that they were able to beat the shit out of the Patriots last week shows the explosive nature of their offense, but it also shows that they can go into these ruts. And their defense hasn't been as dominant this year to allow them to stay in the game when their offense isn't clicking. And that's the big difference, I think, between Kansas City and Buffalo, where their defense has gotten better as the season's gone along. I, If there's a recipe for success, it's a lot of Josh Allen runs, in my opinion, a lot of pockets breaking down, him making plays on the move, kind of like he did last week when they needed it. And, you know, defensively, they just don't have the personnel to really bother Mahomes. Um, he pretty much does whatever he wants whenever they play. And I, especially Kelsey, like running linebacker is actually considered a strength for, for Buffalo with Milano and Tremaine Edmonds, but they cannot keep up. I mean, it's like their nemesis. It's like Clyde Drexel and Michael Jordan. Like it's just not happening for them. You know, he's, they're great players on their own, but when it comes with my MJ, when it comes to Kelsey, there's just no chance. And Kelsey had one of those games last week. He's starting to warm up and, you know, he was good this year, but he wasn't elite. I think from what we've seen in the past, he's starting to look like that. The one thing I will say, Buffalo, when they're really good, is when they jump out on teams quickly so they can keep playing their aggressive ball, but I think a little looser, less turnover prone. Last week they did it against New England. Kansas City, for as much of a genius as Andy Reid is, has gotten off to a lot of slow starts this year. Um, Even this last week they are tied uh, at zero after the first quarter. They didn't even score until like eight yeah, minutes. Yeah, they're down seven zero. Yeah, and they scored 21 points in like six minutes. So 
yes, that shows you how explosive they are, but it also gives me a little pause about what that first quarter looks like. I think that's going to be a big deciding factor, but I like Casey. Yeah, but I mean, I think we've seen this from them in the past, right? Even last year, a couple of years, playoffs, they start slow and they come roaring back. Um, and Buffalo, like you said, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like Buffalo doesn't present enough defensively to make me believe that they can hold the Chiefs back. It's going to be a shootout. And with as up and down the Buffalo offenses, I'm going to trust Mahomes and Kansas City to do it again rather than Josh Allen being able to pull it off. That being yep. said, I am not rooting harder for any t- outside of the Bucks game. There's no team I'm rooting harder for than the Bills this week. Because I just love, I'd love Mahomes to like, you know, if he loses this one, then it really, you know, it's like, okay, let's slow down the pump, the brakes on how good this guy can be. Uh, dude, I don't know about that. I mean, this would be his first loss before the conference championship in his career. And in yeah. that loss, he lost in overtime because of an offsides from D Ford. Otherwise he was going to three straight Super Bowls. So, you know, I still like the chiefs to win. And if they win this, I think they roll. But this is this is their kind of AFC conference championship. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, we shall see Saturday and Sunday four games. Um, so we we only had two games different, right? It was the Bengals Titans. I went yeah, Bengals Packers went Titans. Niners. I went Niners. You went Packers. We're both on the Rams. Both on the Chiefs. Yeah. So, yeah. Essentially, I don't know what the math is, but. You can only I go me. four and zero. You would go two and two. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no. If right. you go four and zero, I go, go uh, two and two. Yeah, two and two. Right. Yeah. Which is the most likely? I think. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> all right, that's a wrap. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on social media, Instagram, and Twitter. Should we start a LinkedIn page? Become LinkedIn influencers. Let's do it. Determine. Why not? Yeah. Should we start a TikTok? Some, we do need to start do some dance. I think if we can go viral like once with I don't know, drafting two K teams or something, something <laughs> that has a lot of general fan interest, then I think yep. it would be golden. But all right. Thanks for listening as always, and we will talk to you. Oh wait. This was our hundredth episode. Yeah, I was gonna uh <laughs> If you're listening at this part of the podcast, we know you're the only ones who really deserve I, to celebrate it actually episode might be number 100. With, but no, because last week said 100 because the first one was a kind of test. Yeah, yeah. And so last week said 100, so this one is officially 100 yeah. episode. Well, our true <laughs> fans are still listening. Thank you for being a part of the ride. 100 episodes. Remember, I, we remember we got shit on because we were doing like a retrospective on the first month of having a podcast we did like a look back in time (laughs) (laughs) what's been something you've learned along the journey we were like having that conversation it's like well i figured out my mic settings so that was a big win uh the irony is we hadn't even figured any of that out yet but yeah hey look man 100 episodes and you know we should have maybe done this at the top because who knows who's listening right now but it's uh hey it's impressive we've made it how many years two and a half years yeah, we started in 2019 August. August. Yeah, we're getting we're closing in on two and a half years. We're soon to land our first famous guest. I can feel it. <laughs> I'm still waiting for Hassan Minaj to respond. We're soon. I'm, I'm waiting for Shams. <laughs> Any other Indians we know associated with basketball? Uh, what about the guy who runs uh, the T Wolves, Sachin Gupta? Sachin Gupta. Yeah, we might might as well, right? Why not?
Yeah. You think Vivek? You think we can get Vivek? On oh the yeah. What are we talking about? You should be. I mean, maybe not after we trashed him on this podcast <laughs> for two and a half years, but aside from that, I think he would be open to it. We actually could get like Sim Bullard, maybe. That. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually now that I thought of that, I might hit him up in some way. Why not? Let's see. Let's see what he's doing. You can DM him on Instagram. He's probably gonna. No. He might DM me about the episode before I do. <laughs> Asking us to be on the pod. Yeah. All right. That's it. That's a wrap. We'll talk to you next week. And thanks again. Bye.